Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Asking for a Friend podcast, an elder-led ministry of Believers Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. And my name is Duffy Henderson, and I'll be your host. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and benefit of God's people. Here we hope to provide helpful, thoughtful, and most importantly, biblical material as we address everyday life questions and issues. So if you find this podcast helpful, please take a few moments to share it with someone that you think would also benefit from it. Thanks again for listening in, and may the Lord bless this podcast greatly to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth and benefit. We hope that you'll enjoy today's episode. Well, again, this is uh, in our series of of July and our interview series that we're doing, and I'm back um, joined for uh, this episode with Jared Haygood, one of our elders here at Believers Baptist. Um, Jason and Philip are not with us this week. Um, Jared, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great. Um, Man, it's good. It's good to be here. Yep, good to be here and just uh, busy with our getting our family VBS rolling. And we got a lot of stuff going. <laughs> this is a busy, busy month for us. And we also have um, a very special guest today, Ryan Bush. And I'll introduce him in just a moment. But Ryan, how are you this afternoon? Doing great. Doing great. 110, 110 degrees here in Arkansas. So. Yeah, we're right up there with you. Um, Man, this is a hot, hot week or week and a half that we've been having. Well, uh, I want to introduce Ryan. Um, He is, we're talking today on this episode about global missions and Baptists, and we're going to get into some some interesting content soon. But I want to introduce him. Uh, Right now, he's currently Associate Professor of Missions at Grace Bible Theological Seminary. Um, He's a recent faculty ad there and um, I had the privilege of being in one of his classes. Uh, he uh, was co-professor in, in the spring. It was fantastic content. Um, but Dr. Bush also has a PhD and MDiv from Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary, and he is uh, heavily involved in global missions. And Dr. Bush has labored in cross-cultural missions since 2003, actually, among people groups such as Peru, Iraq, Iran, uh, Afghanistan, Martania, Senegal, China, Ecuador, and Kenya. And uh, he has got a wealth of information from experience um, in the mission field. He has uh, helped to train pastors through a couple of organizations in the past. And um, I'll get him to talk a little bit about more what he's doing currently in just a moment. But we want to just would like to show you guys this as well. This is a great resource through G3 Press that just came out this year, and it's entitled How We May Read the Scriptures with Most Spiritual Profit. And Dr. Ryan Bush edited this. This is an old publishing that's been reprinted from Thomas Watson. So it's a great little book. Um, Here at Believers, we've got some extra copies. So if you want to grab a copy, come by our bookstore and talk to Jared. He can get you a copy here for those of you who are here locally at Believers. Um, But with that, I'd like to turn it over to Dr. Ryan. Um, Would you just introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your family, what you're doing right now, and kind of what the summer has, uh, what you've been doing over the summer. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I appreciate it, guys. It's it's good to be here, and uh, thankful for your ministry, thankful for your faithful work in, at the local church. Uh, that's that's where, it, that's where it's at. That's where it happens. Um, I am married, been married for 18 years, have five children. Uh, we live in Arkansas, as I mentioned before, and I um, I, so currently I am a coordinator for the Heart Cry Missionary Society. Now that's, that's a recent development, 
Um, up until that, I uh, led international church planters and specifically the Didache Institutes, which uh, was focused on training pastors across the globe, uh, really, really in areas where the, the gospel was, was, was flourishing in terms of converts and church plants, but, but where there wasn't access to theological training for, for pastors. So we would train in those areas. And it actually is because of that work that we've, we've been folded into HeartCry. Um, it, at HeartCry, we're going to begin to do uh, more of that sort of training. And HeartCry is a, a large missions organization. Um, so there's a lot, uh, hundreds of missionaries over the, the world that HeartCry oversees. And I specifically am overseeing Latin America. So I have the privilege of seeing these great men of faith and suffering and persecution uh, shepherd flocks in the jungles, on the mountains, on the coasts. Um, so it's a, it's a real privilege for me to be a part of that. Man, that's amazing. Thank you for your work. And I'm, I'm excited to hear um, here at Believers, we're actually partners with uh, Heart Cry. We sure love um, just everything that Paul Washer's ministry is doing and has been doing. Um, we love hearing about that and are still in the process of getting our people, uh, you know, we are partners, but just getting our people uh, familiar with what HeartCry is doing around the globe. And I know that it is hard work, um, especially getting getting down and dirty in some some difficult areas of ministry. And so um, we, we want to continue praying for HeartCry, um, for you guys as coordinators, but also the missionaries there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Jared, you want to jump in with anything there? Yeah, for the people to know, um, not also, also I know you had him in class, but even before you got uh, Duffy got here, um, I was working on uh, lessons for uh, with Moses as we're looking at Uganda to, to time with you, uh, the local church over there in Uganda. And uh, Ron, I came across your guide to family worship. And, oh, yeah. um, and so I was <clears throat> looking at that because they're looking for practical things that, you know, that how the dads can lead their, uh, their families well at, at home. And, uh, and at the same time, I told Duffy, you know, I read that. And then uh, we went to the G3 conference and uh, I guess you had some young men handing out pamphlets uh, about, about, about the ministry. And, um, and so I was trying to think, uh, you know, as we go there to teach in Uganda, I, I know someone has created stuff already. And, um, and I, I called you, I think I emailed you and me, me and you, Ryan had had some conversation and, and I finally put the two and two together that you're the one who wrote the, uh, the guide to family worship. So, um, so our people know that, uh, I'd also, I talked with you even before Duffy got here, um, about missions and, uh, it's been helpful for me. I know we've talked maybe a handful of times, but I've been able to ask you questions on, on how to do certain things or, or, or how we should handle certain things. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there's a good connection there in terms of missions and family worship because, yeah. uh, and it does no, this would just be a little side plug here or, or encouragement. Uh, it does, um, it does very little good. Let's put it that way to spend resources and time and send people and money and all of that that goes into international missions. If we neglect those souls under our, our own roof, mm. uh, the Lord has placed for you know, talking specifically to dads and and, father, and uh, husbands, the Lord has given you charge of uh, souls that will never die. Um, 
make the most of that yeah. opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a good word. That's a really good word. Well, we want to get into the meat of this, uh, this conversation today. Um, and again, we're so thankful to have you, uh, Dr. Bush, on for these just some questions kind of talking through, um, thinking through how we ought to engage in missions. And I think that there, I think you would probably agree that there are some really good ways that you would commend in engaging in global missions, but also there are some probably some poor ways that we've done in the past um, in general, but also just even as a local church, some 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 ways that are, are good and commendable in some ways that we should probably avoid. Um, but before we jump into kind of the details of this, would you just give us a uh, because let me back up before we jump into that really quickly. Our church is uh, looking to adopt very soon 1689 uh, Second London Confession of Faith, adding it to our you know list of affirmations for our church um, theologically. And that's caused me personally, but I know all of our elders to, you know, reconsider how how this confession, which is so clearly put in a lot of areas, how this will then inform and kind of guard us in our ministry endeavors. Right. And so um, missions comes under the, the umbrella of what we believe Scripture teaches and commands of us is therefore applied to the mission field. Right. And so the, the, the Second London Confession is a, a child of the Reformation. And so I'd love for you to just to talk with us just a little bit, um, Dr. Bush, about um, just in general, uh, Reformation theology and Baptists, kind of going back several centuries. Um, give us a little synopsis of, of our, our, our heritage as Baptists. Yeah, sure. And, and it's, a, it's, it's a rich heritage. Um, well, it's a rich heritage all, all the way going back to the New Testament. But when you talk about um, the Reformation period and then the, sh the, the shifts and turns we see in terms of how Christians viewed world evangelization, uh, it's, it's a really rich heritage. Um, a lot of people don't think that. And, and especially when you connect it with Reformed theology and if you connect it with the um, with Calvinism, the doctrines of grace, for some reason, and I'm not exactly sure why, maybe you guys can tell me, for some reason that has been associated with an unevangelistic, unmission-minded sort of um, culture, which that's actually the total opposite of what the facts have been since the Reformation, and I think really now as well. I guess there might have been some bad examples and you've got terms like the frozen chosen and, you know, us, us for no more sort of, sort of idea. But, and I really think that that's a, that's a snare of the devil to discourage believers and to turn people away from um, good theology, maybe, and um, sound missions. But let me, yeah. let me start with this. There are 3,000 language groups that presently have zero gospel witness. 3,000 3, language groups in the world today that have no gospel witness, no scripture, no church, no missionary, nothing. Wow. Uh, the, the need is, is there. Um, now, what normally comes next is, well, yeah, the need is there, but uh, 
Calvinism or Reformed theology kills a motivation for, for reaching those. Or, you know, we might, we might put it as providential soteriology, um, pulls the rug out from under missions efforts. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that or encountered that, but that's a, that's a common thing that, that comes up against um, Reformed Baptists. Yeah, I've heard it many times. Yeah. Um, but I mean, why, why, why would, why would someone say that? And if you really press them on that, what they're going to say is what it's going to get down to is their, their feelings about it. Well, if God is sovereign and God is in control and God has an elect people, then it doesn't feel like we need to go or what, what's the point, or I don't see the reason, or, or it, it doesn't make me feel like there's an urgency. Well, where else in our Christian life do we base our actions and beliefs upon our feelings? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we preach and teach against that, um, that we all know and believe that the heart is desperately wicked and um, uh, to base what we do as, as followers of Christ on how we feel about something is a, is a perilous place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but I would argue that even, even the feelings argument falls, fall, falls through when someone truly has a big God theology. Uh, my friend, co-labor Owen Strand, he, he has this quote. He says, there's no stronger force for getting the gospel to the ends of the earth than big God theology, which flies, in the, which flies in the face of this argument that, that uh, Reformed theology pulls the rug out. It actually is gasoline on fire. Yeah. In terms of missions. That sounds like a sermon that Dr. Strand would preach, gasoline on fire, like sermon title. Yeah, I know. I need to tell him that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Dr. Strand's preaching is gasoline on fire. Every it time is. It is. It's like, yeah, let's go conquer something. Man, I appreciate, appreciate yeah. it so much. Actually, he just, he just walked through a minute ago in gym shorts. If he does, I'll pull him over. Oh, here. oh that's funny. Oh. <laughs> Uh, well, hey, uh, so I, I guess one of the things I've heard in that regard is, uh, well, to combat that thought is, you know, many of the Reformed theologians uh, have all said, I don't know who this quote's attributed to at first, but God has ordained the ends. And that's usually the, the point at which comes under attack from the, the folks who would say that, we don't need to go. Why do we need to go do anything? Because God's already ordained the ends. But we, the, the same side of the, or the other side of the coin is he's ordained the means of that. And yeah. he's ordained the church to be the means of the gospel proclamation, which results in the salvation of souls. Elect. Yeah. So that's what you mean by the gasoline on fire. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I, there, there's several. And yeah, let me come back to that because I've, sure. there's several yeah. kind of application points I think to to big God theology and missions. Yeah, go ahead, come on. I'll point out, but um, so I'm going to quiz you guys, okay? And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to um, put you on the spot. But do you guys know who Martin Martin Butzer is? Martin Butzer, B-U-C-E-R. I don't, yep. I don't know. I don't know if I know that name. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Who is it? Um, he was a, a co-reformer with Calvin, wasn't he? Yeah, he actually, he was the, or kind he was of a, a mentor or something. Yeah, he was Calvin's mentor. That's exactly right. Yeah, good job, yeah. man. Excellent, excellent yeah. job. 
Yeah. Uh, so I read, read a lot. I, I'm not super smart. I read a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, so, Cal, so this, okay. So this is like Calvin squared. This is the guy who, who taught Cal, who mentored and taught Calvin. Mm. Let me read a quote from him. It says he, or talking about God, God desires that they, that they talking about the lost world, that they should be sought wherever they are scattered and sought with such seriousness and diligence that one should be ready to be all things to all men as mm. dear Paul was, and even to hazard one's own life as the Lord himself did so that the lost lambs might be found and won. And is this mm. guy, is this guy an Arminian or what? <laughs> Talking about seeking and being, being found and won our efforts. Mm. But that, that's the thing for for, for, for some reason, a natural tendency. And again, I think it's, it's a tool of Satan sometimes to, to lead us to see this big God theology and somehow assume or come to the conclusion that that means we are passive in this great work of God across the globe. When the actual opposite is true, when we see that the victory is ours, then then, uh, and we're in the midst of a battle. It doesn't mean you sit down. It means you go forward with more confidence and boldness than you ever did before. And, and the, the, the fear or anxiety that you might've had before, now that you see that the victory is clear, that fear and anxiety is gone. And we go out as conquer conquerors knowing the end. Um, so let me give you something yeah. from John Calvin here. Yeah. Um, so he, John Cal was involved in all sorts of, of missionary endeavors. Um, he, he had an urgent, passionate, um, evangelistic bent toward him and, and encouraged and sent out missionaries, was, was very missions-minded. Hmm. And he, he wrote, there were two missionaries that ended up in prison. I can't remember where, but Calvin wrote, wrote to them to encourage them. Let me read a bit of this, this letter from him. He said, now at this present hour, necessity itself exhorts you more than ever to turn your whole mind heavenward. As yet, we know not what will be the event. He's saying, we're not, we're not sure what's going to happen if you're going to make it out alive, though, though they, they had a good idea. He says, but since it appears as though God would use your blood to sign his truth, there is nothing better than, than, for, you to, than for you to prepare yourselves to that end beseeching him so to subdue you to his good pleasure that nothing may hinder you from following whithersoever he shall call. Not, not only was Calvin interested in missions for the spread of the gospel across the world, but he was interested in missions that resulted in, even if they resulted in the death of missionaries. In other words, the missionary enterprise was so critical and precious to Calvin that it was worth the shedding of the missionary's blood hmm. to that end. The Scots Confession of Faith, 1560, it's still held to by the Free Presbyterian Church of Scotland today. The, the very first, the, like the opening line to it is Matthew 24. Uh, it says this, and these glad tidings of the kingdom shall be preached through the whole world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Mm. Westminster Confessions, the Savoy De- Declaration, the 1689, all have this basic same statement in it. 
says this, all hold to the fact that the scriptures must be translated into all common languages. Not all of God's people know that these know these original languages, so the scriptures are to be translated into the common language of every nation to which they come. In this way, the word of God may dwell richly in all, so that they may uh, worship him in an acceptable, acceptable manner through patience and the comfort of the scriptures that they may have hope. Okay. Wow. Canons of Dort. All right, guys, we're going deep now. We're going to really... Come on, really... bring it. <laughs> now, if you know of the Canons of Dort, if you've ever read the Canons of Dort, you are, um, I mean, you're basically Calvin's great-grandson, basically. Is where you, that's where, this is where we get the five points of Calvinism, the Canons I've, of Dort. That's, I'm that's such a nerd. I've read every word of All of us, it's going to be Duffy. <laughs> I've read every word. <laughs> Let me read you a, a statement from the second head, Article 5. Duffy probably has this memorized, but I'm going to go ahead and read it anyway. It says this. Moreover, the promise of the gospel is that whosoever believeth in Christ crucified shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This promise, together with the command to repent and believe, ought to be declared and published to all nations Amen. And all persons promiscuously and without distinction to whom God out of his good pleasure sends the gospel. Amen. The, 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 the idea or argument that the Reformation and the reform, the fathers of the Reformation were anti-missions or anti-evangelistic or because they held to the sovereignty of God somehow thought that missions and going out and seeking and laboring and sending was unimportant. It's just an outright um, deception or lie. It's just simply not true. Missions zeal was there from the very beginning of the Reformation and, and has been held throughout. Um, a lot of times people will point to William Carey as, the, as the, the founder of modern missions. And in some ways that's true in terms of methodology and the advancements of travel during that time. But, but William Carey was reading missiology textbooks from the men who had come before him in the Reformation. It's not that William Carey invented all of this sort of missions ideas and, and, and that yeah, sort of yeah. thing. He, he simply, he certainly was a turning point in missions history, but, but he was simply capitalizing on a mission zeal that had been there all along. So, yeah. Wow. So we need to put that we need to put that to rest. This idea of somehow the Reformation and missions being being at two ends of the spectrum, they go together, and, and they have. Um, That's really so, good. Yeah, yeah. You want to jump in? What do you, uh, Jared? Well, I was just gonna say, Jared, do you want to do you want to pop in there for a second, just to yeah. have any thoughts from what Ryan just read? Number one, after after you asked us who that person was, I do remember because I remember uh, James White came to Lindale and was talking over. Uh, Martin Luther and given the history. And so after you start talking, it kind of it sparked a memory of that. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but man, brother, I, I agree. I think I hear the the argument most of the, the frozen chosen type thing. And um, yeah. I guess people, I mean, it's, it's doctrines of grace. I mean, it's by God's grace that he has transformed uh, the, this heart of stone. And so um, I guess people look at reformed theology or, or someone who, uh, believe, believe the doctrines of grace that like were holier than now, and um, which goes against that because it had nothing to do with me, and um, it's, it's all by God's grace, and and um, that should push us further to uh, 
if, if I believe in the word of God, it's his command for us to go out, then I'm going to go do it. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, so I, I rented that quite a bit and I, 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 I don't know if I don't know the answer, but I guess they, they look at an individual as holier than thou and that, that we have all the answers. So there's no reason for us to go out and, and spread the gospel. So, yeah. 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 And I think that answers his own question. When someone says, well, if, if election is true, if God has elected people to be saved, then, then what's the point of, of missions? Well, to me, that answers, that's, you've answered your own question. <laughs> the point of missions, the reason of missions is because God has elected people to be saved from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And Duffy, that gets back to what you were alluding to earlier, is that, yes, God has elected people to be saved, and he's also elected the means. He's called us He's called us to be a part of that great work. Now, it, 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 but I get it. I don't, I don't want to be um, insensitive to, to the trouble that that does give people. And, and, I, and it gave me trouble for a time. So, so I, I would be a, a remiss if I did not acknowledge that, that, that I understand that that can be troublesome to, to folks. But I tell you, a turning point for, for myself and, and coming to grips with this and coming to grips with the, just the bigness of God and providential soteriology, the, the idea that God is, he is the one who saves from beginning to end. When I realized that part of my hang up against that was this idea that I wanted to take some credit. Um, I, I wanted to take some credit for my own salvation in terms, and I, now I never would have said that, obviously, I wouldn't have said that, but there was something still lurking in my heart that wanted to point to, to say, well, God saved me because of this thing in me, because of, you know, this quality. And not only that, but in the work that I was doing, I wanted to have some credit. I wanted the, um, so I, I came to, an understanding of God's bigness in, in salvation midway through seminary, actually through my, my through masters. And I, I was working as a missionary in Memphis during that time. I, we, we planted two Spanish language churches, a Vietnamese language church. And there was a part of me that was proud of that and that wanted to take some credit for it. And when I heard um, teaching on God's sovereignty and his power and his election and his working in men's hearts. I didn't like it because that meant it wasn't my charisma. It wasn't my hard work. It wasn't, it wasn't um, my, my methodology. And that, that really bothered me. Um, so um, anyway, whenever we recognize God's power in in saving people and the fact that God is calling people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to himself. And then he calls his redeemed ones to participate in that. And I, I think that that is a, I think that that is a, a huge motivator for Christians to, to go. And, and, and that bears itself out in mission history. You guys familiar with David Brainerd? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you read his journal? We, uh, um, for the month of February, uh, our, uh, one of the elders, Jason, uh, Roland, he, um, uh, during the sermon, he kind of did a little piece on different, uh, missionaries and, uh, that was one of them. And so he did that and we had the books available for the church, uh, to purchase, um, after that Sunday. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't I haven't read through it, but I've flipped I've thumbed through it. Um, I've read you know bits and pieces of it. It's um, it's pretty pretty gripping at times. Um, yeah, it's it's devastating. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a devastating uh, journal to read, and I'll tell you yeah. why. It's devastating because the depth of this man's faith and suffering, and then when you read it and hold it up, when I read it and and held it up to my own life, man, it is it's just devastating. Because um, I'm so weak and so faithless compared to these giants of the faith. But here's a man who studied under Jonathan Edwards, not of not formally, informally. He he would he was in Edwards' house a lot, and um, Brainerd sensed a call to go to um, the the Delaware Indians and some other groups around there in that in the Northeast area of the United States. So he's a missionary in the U.S. among the, those people groups. Um, who believed wholeheartedly in, in the sovereignty of God and the providential uh, work of salvation by God. And at the same time, literally worked himself to death to get the gospel to these tribes. Um, like literally, he, 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 I can't remember the figures, but the number of, of miles he spent he, he traveled on horseback and walking to go between these different tribes. Um, and as the first years of his ministry was marked by from, from the world standards, from, from even our standards at times was just marked by utter failure mm-hmm. because he saw nothing yeah, yeah. in terms of visible fruit. I mean, there, there was just nothing. And he, and he would go in and get this guys, this is crazy. He would go into a, a place where a village was, he would seek to, to let people know that he was going to share something, seek to gather people together to, and then he would preach and he would preach the Bible for, he had a translator that worked with him. He'd preach the Bible for hours at a time and he'd take a break and then he would preach again. Um, he didn't do any raffles. Um, there were no, you know, he didn't, he didn't have mud wrestling at the beginning to get the people to come and check it out at the beginning. Um, nothing. I mean, he was a pretty, no terrible, gimmicks, no gimmicks, terrible, huh? terrible missionary. I mean, <laughs> uh, but that's the thing um, going back to that theme. If, yeah. if we want to recover biblical, well, let me say it this way, reformed missions, which is the term we like to use it. And we need, it's, it's fine. It's fine to use reformed. That's good. I use it. But yeah. when we say reformed, we're not talking about Calvin. We're not talking about yeah. Luther. Yeah. We're, not talking, we're, right. talking, we're talking about biblical reformed means lashing yourself to the Bible. Amen. And trusting God to work through God's appointed means. So that's what David Brainerd did. He went in, he prayed, he sought the power of God to, to fill him and use him as he preached the word of God to these lost. So the first years of his ministry was absolutely um, a failure by world standards, but then the Lord just smiled upon his work and he, and many, many native Americans came to Christ uh, through his ministry Mm. at the age of 27. He found himself in Jonathan Edwards guest room dying he gave, he gave Edwards his journal. He told him to burn it. <laughs> thank, thank the Lord Edwards did not burn it. 
Uh, and he, he died at the age of 27 and is with the Lord now, all because um, he believed in God's sovereignty. Wow. Cool. Uh, William Carey, um, uh, the, the probably the most well-known figure of missions history, same thing, um, suffered tremendously but labored tirelessly to translate the scriptures and, and take the gospel to India, all because he believed in God's sovereignty to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And I'm sure listeners are pretty familiar with him. Uh, you might not be as familiar with John Payton. Have you guys, um, John G. Payton, have you heard of his his story at all? Yeah, he, yes. he, was, he was another one that we did. Uh, and that, uh, yeah, that's great. Song. You, you yeah. must, did we give you a list? <laughs> well, these, yeah, these are these are go-tos I mean, yeah. this is a pretty pretty slam dunk list so yeah go ahead give but, us give us some more well i mean if you haven't if you haven't read his so it's his autobiography but i think it's edited by his son james Patton, if i remember correctly or maybe he put it together through his journal i'm not sure but man it, that that needs to be a must read and and duffy are you a student at gbts at the moment or are you done yeah yeah oh no 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 i'm, I'm just getting started Okay. Well, if you're in my class in the fall, you'll, you will be reading this. <laughs> oh, this <book>. good. So, <laughs> it's a little freaky. And actually, if you're in my class in the fall, also you'll be reading Williams Carey treatise to uh, convince his brethren why we needed to. Yeah. And we, actually we should circle back to that. So in, in William Carey's life, you do see this thing that we're talking about of there, there, there are issues in, there are groups and points in time throughout you know, Baptist history and really any, any Christian history where people were, were very much inward, inwardly focused. And um, so there, William Carey was part of a group that was inwardly focused. And I think it was John Ryland senior mm. was, was in this meeting with William Carey and William Carey's like laying it out there. We need to go to these, to these nations. We need to go to these peoples. And John Ryland senior stands up and he says, young man, sit down. When the Lord wants to save the heathen, he'll do it without your help or mine. Yep. yep. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that unfortunately. Good old hyper-Calvinist. <laughs> yeah, sadly, sadly, that that kind of that microcosm of yeah. response kind of gets smeared all over the whole yeah. reform, which it, it shouldn't. That's not a yeah. fair assessment of us, but but it, it, right. that's what happens sometimes. Um, but William Carey, he, he writes this treatise and he, anyway, that's part of the work required reading for the class. Um, what class are you teaching in the fall? I didn't uh, know you were teaching Christian missions. Oh, yeah. imagine that. Yeah. It's yeah. Pretty crazy. <laughs> pretty sad. Yeah. It's, it's, it's honestly, I mean, I, I'm impartial assessment here. It's the best yeah. class to do. So yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic totally all right jared jared i'm gonna have to pile on some more books man yep yeah it's probably yeah it's not the best it, hopefully it'll be a hopefully the lord will use this class to help help uh brothers understand missions better and help help to lead yeah. their churches in, in biblical missions john g payton went to the new hebrides papua new guinea area the south seas he, oh, here's what moved him. Okay. Here's a guy who's from Scotland and, um, believed big, big God theology, um, providential soteriology that God had elected people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to be gathered around the throne one day. And that God was going to accomplish that. John G. Payton gets news somehow. I don't know how, but he, he hears about two missionaries that go to the new Hebrides where 
where he ends up going. He hears about these two missionaries that go there who are attacked and killed and eaten by a cannibalistic tribe on this island, a group of islands. So John G. Patton, Payton has the natural response and says, that's where I need to go to share the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> our, our wives would be like, are you crazy? Yeah. And, and, and he does. Yeah. He does. And this, 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 this should absolutely wreck mm. us. I mean, here's a man who, who takes his wife yeah. and little daughter. In fact, actually, she might not have been born yet. Um, I can't remember. But anyway, um, she's either born just before or just there to a, an island where just years, a few years before the missionaries had literally been eaten. He, he goes there to share the gospel. Within a year, both his wife and his daughter, infant daughter, die of a fever He's then attacked. They try to kill him. He probably would have been eaten himself. He's able to get away. He goes on a tour all over England and all over Scotland, England, uh, Britain, casting the vision. Then he, he marries again. He goes back and spends 41 years among this, these, these right. tribes on these islands to take the gospel hmm. because he had a big God theology. Uh, Henry Martin in Persia among Muslims, he lesser known. Was he was, was he one of the guys that you? Yeah. Okay, you guys need to check him out. So he, he uh, man, just he gave his life. Um, he gave his life to 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 share the gospel with Muslims. There's one account where he's 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 sharing the gospel with a group of Muslim men, and they tell him um, they tell him to say the 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 confession um, of it's one of the, it's basically how you become a Muslim mm -hmm. and it's something along the lines of Allah is the one God and, and Muhammad is his prophet. Mm -hmm. um, so he, he, they demand that he say that. And he says, and so he, he says to them, God is God and Jesus Christ is his son and the savior of the world, which, which to say that to a Muslim is a, about as offensive as you can get. Henry Martin did not, he, he had a backbone of steel. <laughs> uh, I mean, man, yeah. So anyway, and they say to him, they say to him, uh, say that again and we'll, no, he, he, they say to him, how will you repeat that when we burn your tongue out of your mouth? And it wasn't an idle threat. So the, these are the kind of things that these stuffy old frozen chosen Calvinists did over, over the history of the Reformation. Mm. Uh, uh, the, Far from the rug being pulled out of their enthusiasm for missions, they, they gave their lives and were willing to give their lives so that the gospel might go out to these nations because God had chosen to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And one day they'll be gathered around the throne. So let's go. Yeah. Uh, Henry Martin said this. This is, a great, this is a great quote. Henry Martin said, I'm immortal until my work is finished. When people said, aren't you afraid of dying? Aren't you afraid of being killed by Muslims? Mm. Like, no, I'm immortal. <laughs> I can't be killed until God is done with me. <laughs> Can you believe that? Wow. That is phenomenal. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> Lord, Lord, give us, give us the, the zeal that this man had, right? That's our, that needs to be our prayer. Give us the faith that, yeah. that this man had. Wow. Yeah, and I'll, I and I'll tell you, I get to see guys, I get to see men 
I get to see modern day Henry Martins and William Carey's and John G. Payton's. Uh, they're, in, they're in the jungles of Peru and the cities of Argentina and the, the deserts of Mexico. They're, they're there doing that kind of work with that kind of zeal, with that kind of boldness, mm. all because they believe in the sovereignty of God. Um, so like any good sermon, let me, let me wrap this up with some application. Is that okay? Come on. For sure. <laughs> then we'll have the altar call, the offering as well. <laughs> you can pay online. <laughs> so, <laughs> then hopefully there's a fellowship meal after this. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> so um, big God theology keeps missionaries faithful. Mm. I, have you guys ever heard uh, um, 10 shekels in a shirt? I don't know if I'm familiar with that. Harris Reed. It's a it's a sermon. Um, it, actually, actually, what it is, it's it sounds like a sermon. It, it's a it's a half sermon, half missionary report by this guy named Paris Reed. No, Paris Reedhead. I don't know, something like that. Paris Reedhead, I think. And it's old, maybe sixties, seventies. The audio is really shaky on it, but you can go to sermon audio right now and listen to it. And um, it, it's it's. He talks about when he first, he's in Africa and how he goes over there and he had this vision in his mind of going and sharing the gospel with all of these poor, ignorant, um, you know, sick and um, desperate uh, African people that he, he was going to share the gospel with them. They're just going to be so excited to hear this good news and he's going to see droves of people come to Christ. And he got there and that wasn't what he found. What he found were people who were wicked, who were corrupted by sin, who didn't care to hear that there was a God who had sent his, sent his son to, to die for their sins, who continued in their wickedness and, and scoffed at the message. And he talks about going to the Lord and saying, Lord, why did you send me here? Why, why, would, you, why would you call me to a waste of, they don't even care, they, they don't even want to hear. They don't, they don't, they're not interested in this message. And he said that God just struck him with a lightning bolt, basically, and said, um, why did you, tell me, why did you go for your own glory or mine? Will I not have my inheritance even among these people? Am I not glorified as much in my saving people as also in my condemning them in their wickedness? He, he's, Basically, what he comes to a realization of is that uh, he's going for God's glory. No matter what the results are, no matter how easy or hard it is, no matter how wonderful the ministry is or how much suffering he goes through, God is glorified both by his obedience and also by the preaching of the message, even if it's, even if it's not received. Um, victory is sure. We already talked about this, but God has promised that he's going to save many people. That keeps missionaries faithful, that God has saved, God will save people out of this people group. And the victory is sure. And the fruit, even if it seems to be nothing, God's victory is sure, even among this people group. Um, this Also, the goal is his glory. I just mentioned that. The, the goal is not is not, I'll tell you something, a lot of missionaries, including myself at the beginning, 
go with secret ideas of, of fame. It's, it's a romantic, exciting thing to go as a missionary. It really is. I mean, if there's, there's an allure there and that, 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 that wicked hearts easily go after. But it's also it's also bitter medicine once you get there because you realize it's not how it is. When the goal is God's glory and not your own fame and not impressing people, well, then that keeps missionaries stable even when fruit is, seems meager. Yeah. And along with, along with that, whenever we have a big God theology, we labor for 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 God's approval. We labor for God's smile and not not the approval of man. We, we labor under the fear of God and not the fear of man. So we stop looking so much at numbers and more at, at faithfulness. Am I being faithful to the task that God has called me? And again, we go back to the God, the, the means that God has, has appointed. And, and finally, uh, I'd say this, missionaries can rest when they have a big God theology. They can rest in, in God's in God's sovereignty, not only in the results of the work, but but in their own struggles and their own fears and their own longings that they're missing, you know, their grandma's birthday party back home, and that that's um, these these struggles and deep deep valleys that that missionaries often go through when they trust God's power, His sovereignty, His control, that gives them rest and comfort, even in those very difficult times it's very difficult hours yeah what do you, what do you guys think uh you know just that last part as um i, I remember a professor in my, my undergrad you know ministry is just messy and it, there, there is a glorified sense that you know this is it's like a honeymoon period almost like it's just going to be you know grand and wonderful and you know you you, uh, you realize that that's not always the case but um you know also um i look at it it's um rest for the missionary to know that the local church understands what you just said, uh, that you know that the churches that are backing these uh, missionaries and, and supporting them, that uh, that there isn't the sense that they have to perform for numbers, they have to do this, or the church will you know let them go, or uh, the church won't support them. And so, uh, what a great feeling for a missionary to realize that the local church is there to back you up and realizes those points as well, and yeah. um, and to to rest in that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and connecting that, well, considering the local church and, and that reality, <clears throat> when a when a church sends a missionary, it can be concerning when like, you know, it's it's month after month and then year after year of what seems like not much fruit at all. Maybe no one's come to Christ. Maybe, maybe reports are more like, well, I had this gospel conversation or I was able to you know, I was able to give a track to this person and that, which is great at first and exciting at first, but after a long period of time, it's like, okay, well, when do we get past the conversations and we get to the conversions and the, the discipling and the church planting? Well, if a, if a church has been diligent and careful in who they send out and that a church is fully convinced of the faithfulness of a man on this side of things and a, a sense of the call of God upon his life has been discerned on this side of things. And the church has affirmed that and hands have been laid upon him and he's, and he's been examined by the elders and, and then he's sent out. Well, then those 
maybe worries or doubts about this man's faithfulness um, are much less likely to kind of take a root there prematurely or, or, um, or mistakenly if this man has already proven faithfulness on this side of things. Yeah. That's a great word. Um, I've got a, you know, such, such good content that you've brought uh, today, Ryan. I've got a few, you know, bullet points here that I wanted to hit, but I think we're going to call an audible, Jared. Um, we're going to skip those middle bullet points and let's, you've already kind of touched on it, but let's, you've given us some excellent historical background with, with these missionaries, but also these theologians and how interconnected they are. So I'd love to just kind of talk specifically about local church missions and how uh, big God, big God theology. I love that. Um, that's, that's a great way to put it. Um, big God missions, you know, maybe we can coin that here or something, yeah. but like- uh, talk to us about, how a local church, um, maybe some helpful tips, some encouragement, some uh, admonitions of how a local church can engage now, you know, uh, with this greater vision, this greater uh, mission that God wants mm-hmm. to for us to be sending out. Um, well, and I'll, I'll get you to talk through that. Who who ought to be sent, and how ought they be sent? So let's kind of, let's kind of merge into that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, and and that's important, especially for, for your listeners, your specifically your church members. It's, it's really important for church members to understand the relationship between missions and local church. Um, Sadly, and this is a, this is a recent development over the past, um, well, uh, 40, uh, well, let's see, what year is it? Yeah, 60, 80 years um, where missions has been removed from the local church mm-hmm. and, and set upon parachurch organizations. And uh, there, there's various reasons for that. We don't really probably don't, don't need to go into it, but it's, it's important to, to know that, that that's done. That's done a lot of harm. Yeah. to the missionary enterprise. Um, and it's not, it's not biblical. It's not good. It's not right. Now, now here I am. I'm, I'm a part of a parachurch organization. I've have led a parachurch organization for many years. I'm not saying that parachurch organizations are, are sinful or, you know, because, um, because the church is the center, we don't need parachurch organizations. They, they serve their purpose and they, they can be very useful, but the problem is they can, they can begin to take over, what what rightfully is is the churches. So mm. the baseline the baseline is this: the mission sending the, the biblical mission sending agency is the local church. Every local church is a missionary sending agency. Even That's if so they good. even if they've never sent one before, they still are. Uh, they still are a missionary sending agency. They might just not might not be a very good one, <laughs> or they might be you know back in the process and they're working that way. Um, for yeah. that, but but that that's God's design. That's what God has done. He He has given the local church to the lost world to send out the gospel through representatives, through apostles of the of the church, to spread the gospel, to share the good news of Christ, and to establish re- replicate local churches 
in, in new lands and new languages and new people groups. So, so that's the baseline. The, the, the local church is the mission sending agency. Then, then from that comes all these questions. And this is where pastors usually get rightfully so get a little bit freaked out. It's like, okay, well, you know, how, how does that even happen? How do we do that? How can we support that? What kind of money goes into that? What about visas? What about, what about medical insurance overseas? What about all of these practical questions? Mm -hmm. Now that's where a parachurch organization can come in and assist and help and be a part of, of that work. Because, you know, it is, there are a lot of details. Well, there are, there are a lot of things to consider now that, that weren't there before, before, (laughs) Before the, you know, you got on a boat, spent three months on the boat, and you, you, you know, you sent a letter back to the church, and there couldn't be a ton of interaction, honestly. Before there, yeah. there just couldn't be. Yeah. And, and all of these things that we have today, like, like I mentioned, international medical insurance. You know, back then it was like, well, you know, that's not even an option. Let's hope there's a hospital nearby that can help you. Yeah. Or we, you know, should we get international cell, cell plans for our missionaries so they can communicate with home? You know, we're, we're so spoiled. We're so spoiled. When I, when I served in South America, I literally can, could wake up in the morning and be on a plane and be home eating dinner with my parents late that evening back in Arkansas. You know, and, you know, people say, oh, how do you do it? You know, it's, it's suffering. You know, in, in some ways it is a sacrifice. I don't want to say it's not at all, but, but when you compare to the path. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of, it's, it's pretty embarrassing to, to anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing, but <laughs> yeah. the, the local church is the yeah. missionary sending agency. I love that. I love that. That's, that's excellent. To, if you want to talk more specifically about a certain aspect of that, but we can yeah. jump into that. Jared, why don't you, why don't you pop in there and uh, you got any, any questions, follow up for him on that or. Well, he, he was, you know, part of the reason I had had called Ryan was that very reason of, you know, as, as we at Believers Baptist Church of looking at serving the local church there in, in Uganda, a specific area, you know, I was, um, I wanted to contact you to uh, to help us rightly think through it and, um, you know, team up or um, may never have done it before, um, wanted to, to rightly do it, uh, biblically rightly do it and uh, to rightly think through our next steps and, and how we, how we go about that. So, um, so, so I can see that the, the helpfulness of having other brothers in Christ and uh, to, to, to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's so much misinformation. Um, dare we say fake news out there about, uh, about missions <laughs> um, and, and missions has been mishandled. Mm. Um, and, and really, uh well, it's it's actually very similar to what's happened in the in the United in the U.S. Church. This idea of pragmatism yeah. that, that's crept yeah. in. Well, not that, well, that's basically running the show in many uh, yeah. churches right. in the United States. Well, there's a there's a sister to pragmatism that that happens in missions, and it's called contextualization. Now, contextualization, it, it, the idea of it, it's 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 not inherently evil. Um, it is a concept that is just a, it's, it's a part that's woven into the very nature of going from one culture to another. You know, you'll get some things where some people who say, well, they, they hear the word contextualization and they think, 
well, that's, that's wrong, that's sinful, that we should have nothing to do with it. Well, they're thinking of the bad kind. But when you go to a culture and you, you translate the, the, the Bible into their language, that is contextualization. And, and yeah. we, that's a good thing, obviously. We would do that. Um, so, but, but that idea of contextualization has been, been taken by um, missionaries and organizations that have a low view of Scripture. Uh, they wouldn't say that, but their fruit bears that out um, because what becomes, instead of the ordinary means of grace being the primary method and work on the field, now it becomes these methods that have been contextualized according to the preferences and desires and whatever of that culture, and these simple means have been pushed to the side. Um, missionary work is not complicated. It, it's not. It's, sim- it's simple. Uh, it's, it's, it's essentially the exact same thing that you would do here in the United States if you went somewhere to plant a church. The only difference is that things look differently uh, in terms of the clothes you wear, the clothes that people wear. Um, they speak a different language. Uh, the food they eat is different. It's going to feel different. However, God is the same. Man and sin is the same in that culture. Law and gospel is the same. And the means that God has given has not changed for one culture to the other. The way that the Spirit works to save people does not change from culture to culture. The context mm-hmm. might change, but the means and the methods of, of, that are prescribed in God's Word do not change. Yeah. Man, that's so good. It's good. That's, that's almost worth repeating again. I mean, that right there, I think... You know, for our church, I know Jared and um, and Jason have been kind of spearheading, uh, along with one of our other church members, Sean. Uh, kind of this, uh, we're, we're we're attempting to get connected and get our church locked into this um, ministry opportunity in Uganda. And that right there, what you just laid out, is so helpful because Jared mentioned a little while ago that this concept, some of these concepts are freeing. Um, we have this stigma that, well, only certain certain organizations or certain people are really equipped to do this work, and we can't do this. We're not really equipped to do it. But I love what you just said. Um, would you just just a little bit expound on that? Um, maybe encourage a small body of believers that you can also, you know, you can engage in this. Um, just the same way as someone else who larger is. And of course you can partner with other churches and that sort of thing, but um, yeah, the, the simple aspect of this. Yeah, you're right. It, it, it has been complicated. Um, we, we automatically think of missionaries and sending a missionary or um, even a mission organization as being an extremely complex thing, a mystery um, and it's something that a local church could never do, or even me as an, as a believer, I've, you know, I've grown up in Texas all my life. I've really haven't been around. I don't, so I, I could never be a missionary when there's nothing farther than the truth. Uh, the Lord has sent humble, simple Christians out from local churches for 2000 years. 
they had no missions budget. They had no full-time pastor. They didn't even have an old, they didn't even have their own building. <laughs> they didn't even have a place to meet. They just go around from church to church and I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, from house to house and, and meet there. Um, we have o- overcomplicated it. And, mm-hmm. and here's what we've done. We've, we just had July 4th. So um, this will be fresh. Uh, you know, you can go to a fireworks stand and uh, you know, the common, the common thing that we all know about is black cats, at least in Arkansas. I don't know if you guys have black cats in, uh, in Texas. Yeah, buddy. It's just a little stick of dynamite, I guess. I don't know what it is. <laughs> you know, they'll come in a strip and, you know, they're loud. Uh, they'll make a big noise. They'll scare yeah. you. They're, they're dangerous. Don't let one go off in your hand. Um, but, you know, you, you set it off. It, it, it makes a little show and, it, and it's over. Well, um, we've, we've, we've turned missions into this grasping and searching for all of these all of these things to win the world for Christ. And all it is is just setting off little black cats. Mm. You know, it looks exciting and it makes a little show. Yeah. But at, at the end of it, we don't have much, much left, a little burnt patch of grass maybe. When all the while there's, there's a rocket ship in our backyard just waiting to be launched. And that's the word and prayer. Mm. The Holy Spirit working through the scriptures and the fervent prayer of a righteous man to reach a nation for Christ. Yet we've grown tired of this powerful weapon that we have, and we've decided that we can find something better. The next new great method that's going to work in this culture or this people group or this, this context. And, you know, if you just do this, if you just do this sort of thing there, then, man, he, he had some fruit. He started this group and we can try to replicate this. Um, the Lord has given the means to accomplish the mission and every believer has access to those means. Mm, that's so the good. Holy, the Holy yeah. Spirit dwelling in them, the word of God, all prayer and a local church to send them. Now, I, I get it. There are practical things like, you know, money is one and all these other things, but we, we let that stuff scare us too much. Yeah. We let that stuff hold us back. And we say, well, once we get all of these things in order, then we can send missionaries. Meanwhile, there, there are people dying, going to hell. Meanwhile, Christ, it's, it is the twilight brothers that, that Christ is coming. Christ is coming. And those excuses of, well, we didn't have our budget set up yet. Those aren't going to stand in the last day. Those aren't going to be convincing to ourselves or anybody else. Yeah, that, that hits home. You know, it's kind of like I'm thinking about the bad advice that I received about a decade ago that you should wait until you're ready to get married. And wow. uh, that's like the worst advice ever. Like no one's ever ready. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't want to do a, this is a rabbit trail, but that's immediately what I was thinking about is um, True. get brother, get married, have a have some children, you know, raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord and, you know, <laughs> just get after it, you know, in, in one sense. And you may not have Ready? much. This <laughs> for marriage comes about three or four, five years after you're married. That's the only way to get ready for it. <laughs> 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 you've been married for a while 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, a on point. the job training. Yeah, absolutely. How else can you get ready for it? <laughs> you know, and, and, and as a pastor, I, I'm probably as as guilty as that too. You know, I'm individualized to have things in a row. You know, we need to do this, this, and this, and this, and um, you know, I don't don't want to make a mistake, but um, where I almost do it so much that maybe it holds us back, you know, and uh, I, I make that harder than, than what it is probably sometimes. Um, I, I know there's a balance probably of, of being smart with the money and, and being responsible, uh, but at the same time, God has called us to do it. And uh, if, if that makes sense. There, there is a balance. And I, I don't want to give the wrong impression that, that we should be foolhardy in this. Sure, sure. Um, uh, so we need to differentiate between urgency and hastiness. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be hasty. That, that's, that's foolish to be hasty in this endeavor, but we must be urgent. We mm. must have an earnestness in our heart about this commission and take it seriously. And if we truly have an urgency, uh, then we will push forward on those things and we won't, we won't let, um, let other things push it back and neglect that great work that's, that's been laid before us. That's really good. Uh, Jared, do you have any closing thoughts um, to, to maybe a question or something to ask uh, Dr. Bush before we kind of wrap the episode up? Well, brother, we, we have a, a resource and we value resources in the, in the church and to um, build our, our people into reading and to reading good books in our resource center. Is there any, uh, I know you've listed all those uh, people at the very beginning of uh, missionaries, but are there any other books that can help our people help us uh, as elders at the church uh, recommendations or um, curriculum, whatever it may be, uh, on, on missions and to, to really think about this? Yeah. Well, let me start by saying this. Be really careful about missions books. Um, it, it, you know, that, that's the case with any books. But th- there are a lot of missions books that um, that have, have, have taken this idea of contextualization, pragmatism, hook, line, and sinker, and that's, that's the whole bent of it. Wow. Um, a Vision for Missions, that's published by Banner of Truth, that's a really good kind of basic missiology text. Um, and in fact, I'm going to use that in the class as well this fall. Uh, not too difficult to read, uh, not too long, pretty, and just really solid content. But beyond that, the, really, there, there is so much benefit to reading biographies of missionaries. And there's a few sets put out by, I think Reformation Heritage has a good good set of, of biographies. It's not all missionaries, but a lot of them are. Um, but the, the ones I mentioned, uh, David Brainer's journal, really, really good. Um, that the, 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 the Peyton autobiography or biography that, that, that really needs to be re- required reading for, for all, <laughs> all <laughs> Christians. It's, it's just excellent. But any, any good biography that you can find vision for missions would, would be good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, beyond that, I don't, I don't not, nothing I'd recommend right off the top of my head, though. Okay. Start with those. Those would be good, good to yeah. start with. Great. That's really good. Anything else, Jared, uh, before we wrap? Uh, I, I, we could talk a whole lot more, but. Yeah, I, I was just thinking about, man, we could go two and a half hours here, you know, if we didn't have anything else to do. Yeah. I know you've, you know. There's a lot more practical stuff, you know. I know our, our church people would like to know about yeah. missions and how we hold, handle yeah. stuff, but I, I, maybe that's another time, so. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. And if you want to touch on some more practical things church-wise in the future, we'll set up a time and do another one. I'd be happy to, to talk through some of those things as well. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, um, can, can we end the episode maybe two to three minutes 
Um, we actually, you know, I said at the beginning, we're teaching through the confession, uh, 1689 confession. And we actually just this past week, providentially, we just taught through, uh, oh, I forget the title. Let me pull it up right here. Uh, it is chapter 20 on the gospel and the extent of its grace. And it has a, a paragraph in there that is explicitly uh, missiologically focused. Um, and and it, it dispels the myth of this, you know, frozen chosen idea. Uh, specifically, paragraph three of chapter 20 speaks to this, the proclaiming, and I think you mentioned it already, but um, just an exhortation, maybe a pastoral exhortation to anyone listening here um, from the confession and from scripture, just to kind of close us out, Dr. Bush, anything that you would, you know, anything you would add yeah. there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, all Christians have been saved by grace. Um, if you are headed to heaven, if you're on the pilgrim way, then you've been, it's because the Lord has reached down. He's, he's shown his, his, uh, favor towards you. He's extended grace and mercy to you. He's, he's engendered faith and repentance in you and he did not turn you away. But I, I would venture to, um, say with, with quite a bit of certainty that the Lord showed that grace to you through the witness of another believer. Someone shared a tract with you. Someone shared the gospel with you. Uh, maybe you heard a sermon. Um, maybe someone came from another country and, and shared with you or your family you heard the gospel and responded to the grace of God because someone else who had heard the gospel shared it with you. You also have that great privilege and responsibility now that you've been redeemed to go and share the gospel, to make disciples of all nations. That doesn't necessarily mean that you move to another country. It might mean that you go to your neighbor's house. It might mean that you share with someone at your work. It might mean someone at your school. Uh, you probably feel nervous and afraid of doing that. Uh, we all do. I feel nervous when I'm going to share the gospel with someone sitting next to me on an airplane or with my, with my uh, uncle at a family re reunion. I feel scared and nervous. A thought that helps me is this. Five seconds into eternity, what will I wish I had done? in that moment. There will be a time where, where all that will matter between a soul and eternity is what they've done with Christ. Take every opportunity that you can to be a witness to those, to those who need to hear the gospel. The Lord is saving people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And beyond that, the Lord might be calling you to pack up and move across the world. There are 3,000 plus language groups that don't have a, a witness at all in them. The Lord may be calling, he might be using this very podcast and my humble efforts to call you to be the one who brings the gospel to one of those people groups. If he is moving in your heart to do that, if he's giving you an earnestness in your heart, talk with your elders, your pastor about that. Don't put it aside. Don't shove it under the rug. Even if it scares you, ask the Lord to help you to discern what he might be doing in your heart. Yeah, that was so good. Um, Dr. Bush, 
so thankful that you've come uh, and just joined us today for a conversation, sharing your heart um, about global missions and your heart for the local church. I'm excited to hear about your your new uh, position with HeartCry. Love to hear that. Yeah. And uh, just thank you so much for, for taking your time today uh, to join us. Um, well, that's it for today's episode. And thank you as the listener once again for taking your time to listen to the Asking for a Friend podcast. We sure hope that it's been a blessing to you. Take a few minutes, if you would, to like and share this podcast, whether you're listening on Podbean or some other podcast platform or you're watching this on YouTube. Um, share it on social media, share it with a friend, a family member who uh, maybe this has made an impression on you um, to uh, be more diligent in your evangelistic or missionary um, endeavors. Um, also, one last thing is if you go on our church website, bbcemory.org, uh, you can go to our media tab, click on that, scroll all the way to the bottom, and there's a place that you can submit us a question to potentially look at and answer in a future podcast. Um, episode. But until next time, grace and peace be with you all.